Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. We continue our Advent series with week three. In this sermon, we look at Mary's response to the news of the angel. We all have a picture of what this might look like, but is it an accurate representation of what Scripture says? You're listening to Preparing the Way, Luke by Reverend Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading this morning is from Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 26 through 38. And just a reminder, if you're visiting or if you've forgotten, this uh, Bible series, for, this sermon series for the season of Advent is called Preparing the Way. And what we've been doing is going through all four of the Gospels and seeing there the materials that each Gospel writer uses to prepare for Jesus' coming. The Gospels don't start right with Jesus. They have a little bit of preparatory material. So we're letting each of those Gospels speak their preparatory material and prepare us for the coming of our Lord. So last week, we listened to Mark. And as you remember, Mark had this sort of big cosmic vision of the coming of Christ, right? John the Baptist comes and says, the Holy Spirit's coming and he's going to be the, the, the Messiah is going to be in the Holy, uh, the Messiah is going to speak with the Holy Spirit and there's going to be fire and his power against the empire and power against the evil one. So it was this big cosmic theme. Today we kind of go in the opposite direction. We're in the room of a 15-year-old girl as she's pondering to herself and a messenger of the Lord comes. Listen. In the sixth month, Of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. And when a Bible story is is popular and as familiar as this one, sometimes it's harder to hear. We know a story really, really well. Sometimes it's harder to hear because when we hear it, we put it in a box. So you hear the minister start or... Sunday school teacher, wherever you hear the story, they start to say, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel came to Nazareth in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. You hear those words, and a standard set of images and pictures and ideas pops into your head. 
you say, oh yeah, this story, I know, I know this story, I know what this is about, right? And you put it in a box. And if that's true, if you've heard this story so many times that the standard set of images and pictures popped up into your head, I wonder where you got those images and pictures in your conceptions of this story. Maybe you got them from your childhood story Bible. When you opened it up and saw the pictures and heard the story as your mom read it. Maybe you got it from all the children's Christmas programs that you watched when some fresh-faced eight-year-old girl said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Maybe you got it from a preacher preaching a sermon on it. Or maybe, and I know this is probably true for many of us, you got it from the world of art. This is one of the most painted pictures you'll ever see. All of us have seen multiple paintings of this story. The Annunciation, as it is often called, is painted by all, well not all, but many, many, many of the great masters. Rembrandt, El Greco, Fra Angelico, all these masters, they all paint this picture. And if you go through, if you go on Google Images, which you can do, and you look at those pictures, you'll notice there's a kind of a theme. They all kind of picture the scene in a pretty similar way. You get the angel Gabriel looking majestic, leaning over and bringing the news. And then you've got Mary receiving the news. Now, if you can bring to mind any of these pictures, how is Mary portrayed, painted by most of those great masters? What does Mary look like in paintings of the, of the Annunciation? Usually, I think, what I saw this week, she's Mary, meek and mild, and she has this sort of look of serenity and calm and acceptance. Right? And there might be a little surprise in her face, but not a whole lot. It's mostly serene acceptance. So, sort of like, okay, that's what you see, right? Does that look vaguely familiar? It's hard for a 55-year-old man to do Mary. <laughs> so that's, that's generally the look. Now, that's how the great masters painted Mary. I ask you, is that how Luke paints Mary? What's the picture that Luke paints with his words of this virgin who is going to conceive our Lord Jesus Christ? Is it serenity and faith? Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Greatly troubled. That's one of the words. That's the first words that Luke uses to paint what Mary looks like. What kind of a picture is that? Well, the word is diatarasso. It's the only time that Greek word is used in the entire New Testament. It's made up of two words, dia, a prefix, and tarasso. The word tarasso is used a lot in the New Testament. And it means troubled or terrified. It is the word that both Matthew and Mark use to describe what the disciples felt when they were out in the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night, and there was a storm, and it was a dark, and they looked up, and they saw Jesus walking towards them on the water, and they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out in fear. Now, if you were painting that scene, I ask you, would you have the disciples sitting in the boat going like this? And that's just terrasso. The word here, as I said, is dia terrasso. The prefix dia is an intensifier. It means through. So it means terrified through, as in terrified through and through. This is full body fear. Shaking, dry mouth. 
Just once I want to see a painting where instead of Mary going like this, she does something more like. Mary was right to be terrified by the angel's greeting. Because she's about to find out that she's a 14, 15-year-old girl and she's pregnant even though she's not married. And that means her entire world is going to be turned upside down. All the major relationships of her life are going to be completely complicated. Her relationships with her parents, what is she going to say to her parents? Mom, Dad, I'm pregnant. They'd both be furious. Her mom would cry. Her dad would yell, how could you do this to our family? You're bringing shame on our name. How are we going to walk through the streets of this town again? Her community life was about to be turned upside down. How would the people of Nazareth look at her now? She knew that in the law of Moses, it was legal to stone someone to death if they were pregnant before they were married. Now, she assumed that they would not do that, but she knew that as she walked through the streets of the town, she would certainly have some stony looks thrown her way. Life in Nazareth would never be the same. And her married life was going to be turned upside down. How would she tell Joseph? Joseph, I'm pregnant. No, no, I wasn't with another man. Well, it was the Holy Spirit. Well, you, there was this angel, and how would he believe any of that? So this, this thing, this thing that she's finding out from the angel utterly is going to change her life, uproot it, make it infinitely complicated. So much pain is going to come to Mary because of this news. And worst of all, maybe worst of all, something I just realized this week, Mary has absolutely no choice in this matter. There is no opt-out clause in the angel's message. Mary does not volunteer for this job. She is absolutely drafted. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, the angel says. Overshadow. I noticed this word this week, right? There's a little menace in that word, right? Like a storm is coming. A sword will pierce your heart also. And it's the right word. One minute she's a 15-year-old girl about to marry a carpenter, dreaming of a nice suburban life on the outskirts of Nazareth with a little white picket fence. And the next moment, she's thrust into the center of the conflict between good and evil in the center of history. The powers of Herod and the powers of the evil one are going to try to snuff her out and kill her. And she didn't ask for any of this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the host, Most High will overshadow you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. There's a sense in which everyone in this room can relate to Mary in that moment. Now, of course, there's a sense that none of us can relate to Mary because Mary is utterly unique. She's the one chosen to be the mother of our Lord. And that's something that no one in human history other than she will ever experience. That's not something we can share with her in common. That's something we receive as grace and we receive with thanksgiving. But we can share with Mary and we can identify with Mary in this sense. All of us here know what it's like to be going along in life and all of a sudden have something happen to us, something pushed into our life that we did not ask for, that was either sent by God or allowed by God 
that utterly disrupts our life and turns it upside down. The doctor looks across the desk from you and he shuffles his papers and he says, well, I'm sorry, ma'am, but we looked at all the tests and there's nothing more we can do. The phone rings in the middle of the night and a voice on the other side says, sir, there's been a terrible accident. You better come to the hospital right now. The boss calls you into his office and said, I know you've been here a lot of years, but I'm sorry, we're going in a new direction. We won't be needing your services anymore. The person that you thought loved you and would always love you stands up in your kitchen and says, I don't want to live with you anymore. I'm leaving. We don't choose a lot of the things that uproot our lives. And we love, as Western people, to celebrate the power of choice, right? We love the power of choice and this idea that we can control our destiny. But so much that happens in our life are things that just overshadow us without our asking. And some of these things are missions from God, things that God specifically gives us to do that are hard, like with Mary. But sometimes they're things that God allows. They're, they're terrible things that God allows to happen in our life that we don't understand. How do we react when these overshadowings come into our life? Here's what Mary does. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Lord, I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why you chose this for me. I don't know why I have to face this thing but I'm your servant, I love you, I trust you, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do the best I can. I'm shaking, I'm terrifically sad, I, but I'm gonna to try to move forward in faith, I'm gonna to try to move forward in love, I'm gonna do the best I can. Lord, I am your servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. For two millennia, people have celebrated Mary's response in that moment, and rightly so, because it is a beautiful thing to think of a 15-year-old girl showing that kind of faith under that kind of pressure. It reminds me of a C.S. Lewis quote that I love and that I know I've shared with you already, but I want to share again because I think it, it's the perfect description of faith at a crisis point. This is what Lewis said. It's from the Screwtape Letters. He says, when a human being under stress finds himself in a place where he no longer desires to do God's will, but still intends to do it, looks around at a universe where every trace of God seems to have vanished, asks why he has been forsaken, but still obeys, that's when the cause of God is strongest. When you're in one of those positions where something overshadows you and you don't understand what's happening and you look around and you can't figure out what God is doing and you don't even feel like doing what you know you're called to do, but you do it anyway, that's faith at its strongest. And it's the faith that Mary has in this passage. Now, faith isn't always like that. Of course it isn't. Sometimes faith is good. Sometimes faith is easy. Sometimes faith is strong. You know, profession of faith, a baptism, a sunny day, you're laughing with your friends. Often faith is good and easy and lovely, but for every single one of us, there will be days where faith is exactly like this. And on those days, when we stand up and say, I am the Lord's servant, Lord, may your will to me be done. Faith is strong and the demons shake. 
And that's what we proclaim, that's the kind of faith we proclaim in Advent, right? Advent, it's dark and we light candles. And we remind each other that though sometimes the way is dark, Christ came once, he still walks with us, and Christ will come again. And as we walk that road, we don't just have the promises. He gives us signs along the way. Like this one. This week, for many of us, has been a week of an overshadowing. Right? We had three, three funerals at the end of this week, three dear people taken from our lives. One of those people was Ken Gritter, who died last Saturday morning. Ken, only 72 years old, which seems increasingly young to me. And he was very healthy, vibrant 72. He had a lot of things he could still give. He was still energetic. Two years ago, I think most of you know, diagnosed with ALS. And ALS is this terrible degenerative disease. Your muscles just weaken until you die. For the last three months, Ken and Mary, his wife, were in Faith Hospice, Trillium Woods, down in Byron Center. So for three months he was there, and every single day, inch by inch, he weakened with Mary at his side, and then last Saturday morning, he died. Now, that is an overshadowing, right? That's something like, Lord, I, he... But it's something that God allowed to happen in their lives. On Saturday... The family did what you do after your loved one passes in a place like that. They cleaned up the stuff. Took out the clothes from the closet, got his shoes, got his cell phone, took it all home, cleaned out the place. Now you should know that on Ken and Mary, on their cell phones, they had an app called Life360. And Life360 is an app where you can track your loved ones. So if you got Life360, you can look, it'll, it'll tell you where your loved one is. So it'll say, you know, so-and-so is at the drugstore. So-and-so is at the hardware store. So-and-so is at church. It'll just give you alerts and tell you where your loved one is. So that morning, her husband of 50 years dies. She comes home, puts all the stuff away. Mary collapses onto her couch. And when she does, her phone gives an alert noise. She picks up her phone, looks at it, and it says simply, Ken has arrived at home. Now, you can look at that and say, oh, that's just a piece of technology doing what it's supposed to do. But if you see it that way, I think your faith is too small. What is that if not a sign that as we go through the overwhelming places of our life, God is with us? It's a sign he gave to Mary, and now that I've told you, it's a sign he gives to you too. Here we are, Lord. We are your servants. Some of us are flourishing and some of us are flailing, but we are your servants. May your word to us be fulfilled. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this testimony of the faith of Mary and the strength of your promises. Lord, we are heirs of those promises and heirs of that faith. And we pray that this week you will give us the strength and the Holy Spirit and the power to walk ahead into whatever we face and hold our light high, to hold your light high and proclaim your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.